0: One of the greatest twists of fate in human history occurred during an ocean voyage in 1620. The Pilgrims were originally bound for Virginia to live north of Jamestown under the very same charter granted to the citizens there. But fate charted a different course. Lost at sea due to a hurricane they would be forced to U-turn and arrive on a piece of land that would become known as Cape Cod. So the Pilgrims had an important question to answer before they could set ashore. And since they were not landing within the jurisdiction of the Virginia Company, they had no charter to govern them. Who would rule this new society? In the landmark Mayflower Compact of 1620, the Pilgrims decided that they themselves would rule based on majority rule of the townsmen. This independent attitude set up a new tradition of self-rule that would later lead to town meetings and elected legislatures in a land no longer called England, but New England. Welcome to another episode of Print the Legend, a podcast for U.S. history students, where we take a look at the stories that made up America and the stories that America made up. I'm your host, Mr. Nasosi, and in this episode, the founders of New England had an entirely different mission from their Jamestown counterparts to the South. And while economic prosperity was still a goal of the New England settlers, their true goal was spiritual. Fed up with the state of the Church of England, pilgrims, and 10 years later, the Puritans sought to recreate society in the manner they believed God truly intended it to be designed. Now, to understand the why, we need to get to the causes of leaving England in the first place. It's important to remember that religious strife reached a peak in England in the 1500s. We all know the tale. When Henry VIII broke with the Catholic Church of Rome, spiritual life in England was turned on its ear. The new church, under the king's leadership, was approved by the English Parliament, but not all the people of England were willing to accept this new Church of England. At first, the battles were waged between English Catholics and followers of the new church, the Anglicans. The rule of Queen Elizabeth brought an end to the bloodshed, But the battle waged on in the hearts of the english people for many more years the pilgrims called the separatists in england because of their desire to separate from the anglican church were persecuted by the throne and the puritans so named for their desire to purify the church of england experienced the same degree of harassment by the second and third decades of the 1600s each group decided that england was no place to put their controversial beliefs into practice. Where else but in the new world could such a golden opportunity be found? The land was unspoiled. Children could be raised without the corruption of old English religious ideas, and the chance to create a perfect society was taking root. The Stuart kings saw America as a means to get rid of these troublemakers everything, it seemed, was falling into place. Successful colonies require successful leadership. The man to step forward in Plymouth was William Bradford. He was elected governor for the next 30 years, and under his guidance, Plymouth suffered less hardship than their English compatriots in Virginia. And relations with the local natives remained relatively smooth in Plymouth, and the food supply grew with each passing year. By autumn of 1621, the Pilgrims had much to be thankful for. After each harvest, about 90 Indians joined the Pilgrims for the great English tradition of the Harvest Festival. The participants celebrated for several days, dining on venison, goose, duck, and of course, turkey. The result of a bountiful corn harvest was seen, and this tradition was repeated at harvest time in the following years. Later in American history, President Lincoln would declare Thanksgiving a national celebration in 1863. The Plymouth Pilgrims simply celebrated survival as well as the hopes of good fortune in the years that lay ahead. Just nine years after the pilgrims arrived in New England, the passengers of the Arbella left England in 1630 with their new charter and a great vision. These Puritans would be an example for the rest of the world in rightful living. Future Governor John Winthrop stated their purpose quite clearly. He said, quote, we shall be as a city upon a hill. The eyes of all people are upon us. The Arbella was one of 11 ships carrying over thousands of Puritans to the Massachusetts Bay Colony that year. It was the largest original venture ever attempted in the English New World. The passengers were determined to be a beacon for the rest of the world to follow, a model of Christian charity, in the words of the governor. And they had a unique vision that had come from Europe, from the doctrine of John Calvin called predestination. This doctrine held that God is all-powerful and all-knowing, and therefore the fate of each individual soul is known to God at birth. Nothing an individual can do or say could change their ultimate fate. And Puritans believed that those chosen by God to be saved, the elect, would experience conversion. In this process, God would reveal to the individual his grace and the person would know that he was saved. Only the elect could serve as a member of the church. If a person were truly saved, well, they would only be capable of behavior that was endorsed by God. These living saints would serve as an example to the rest of the world And during these early years, ministers such as John Cotton carefully screened individuals, looking at their behavior, their clothing, and their conformity, to see if they have in fact experienced conversion. An elected legislature was established in these colonies, echoing the desire for self-government already seen in other English colonies. And although ministers were prohibited from holding political office, many of the most important decisions were made by the clergy. In fact, in 1636, Harvard College was instituted for the purpose of training Puritan ministers. By the end of the 1630s, as part of a great migration of Puritans out of England, nearly 14,000 more Puritan settlers came to Massachusetts, and the colony began to spread. By century's end in 1691, Plymouth Colony, still without a charter, was absorbed by their burgeoning neighbor to the west. This new life in a new England seems to be bursting with possibilities. Life expectancy of its citizens has now become longer than that of old England. Children are born at nearly twice the rate of that in Europe, and it's often said that New England invented grandparents, for it was here that people in great numbers first grew old enough to see their children bear children. But it is important to note that the Massachusetts Bay Colony was a man's world. Women did not participate in town meetings and were excluded from decision-making in the church. Puritan ministers furthered male supremacy in their writings and their sermons, and they preached that the soul had two parts, the immortal masculine half and the mortal feminine half. It was believed amongst the Puritans that women who were pregnant with a male child had rosy complexions, and that women carrying a female child were pale. The names of women found in census reports of the Massachusetts Bay Colony included patience, silence fear, prudence, comfort, hope still, and fruitful. This list, instead of just being names of women in the Puritan colonies, more reflected the Puritan views on women. And church attendance, well of course that was mandatory. Those that missed church regularly were subject to a fine, and if you missed church very often, well, you were subject to public whippings. The sermon became a means of addressing town problems or concerns, more like a pulpit of politics than that of the Bible's vision. And the church was sometimes patrolled by a man who held a long pole, and on one end was a collection of feathers to tickle the chins of old men who fell asleep. On the other was a hard wooden knob to alert children who giggled or slept. For the Puritans, church was serious business indeed. The The Puritans believed that they were doing God's work. Hence, there was little room for compromise. Harsh punishment was inflicted on those who were seen as straying from God's work, and there were even cases when individuals of differing faiths were hanged in Boston Common. Adulterers might have been forced to wear a Scarlet A if they were lucky. At least two known adulterers were executed, though, in Massachusetts Bay. Public whippings were commonplace, and the stockades forced the humiliated guilty person to sit in the public square while onlookers spat, threw fruit at them, or just pointed and laughed. And Puritans felt no remorse about administering punishment. They believed in Old Testament methods. Surely God's correction would be far worse to the individual, than their earthly penalty. To avoid such perils of Puritan punishment, one must conform. That includes religious and social conformity. But not everybody was ready to conform, including those free thinkers like Anne Hutchinson and Roger Williams. Anne Hutchinson was a deeply religious woman. In her understanding of biblical law, the ministers of Massachusetts had lost their way. She thought the enforcement of proper behavior from church members conflicted with the doctrine of predestination. She asked a very simple question. If God has predetermined me for salvation or damnation, how could any behavior of mine change my fate? Well, this sort of thinking was seen as extremely dangerous. If the public ignored church authority, surely there would be anarchy. The power of the ministers would decrease, and soon over 80 community members were gathering in her parlor to hear her comments on the weekly sermon. Her leadership position as a woman also made her seem all the more dangerous in Puritan order. So the clergy felt that Anne Hutchinson was a threat to the entire Puritan movement, They decided to arrest her for heresy, and in her trial, she argued intelligently with John Winthrop, but the court found her guilty and banished her from Massachusetts Bay in 1637. Roger Williams shared a similar threat, and it was two ideas that got him in trouble in Massachusetts Bay. First, he preached separation of church and state. He believed in complete religious freedom and that no single church should be supported by tax dollars. Massachusetts Puritans believed that they had the one true faith, therefore such talk was intolerable. And second, Williams claimed taking land from Native Americans without proper payment was unfair, stealing, in his words. But Massachusetts wasted no time in banishing this minister as well, so Roger Williams and and Hutchinson hit the road and headed south. Conformity is quickly turning to dissent in the Puritan community. Thomas Hooker was a devout Puritan minister, and he had no quarrels with the religious teachings of the church. His quarrel was political in nature. He objected to the linking of voting rights within church membership that had been practiced in Massachusetts Bay. And in 1636, he and a group of followers went west and built a town known as Hartford. This would become the center of the Connecticut colony, In religious practices, Connecticut mirrored Massachusetts Bay, but it was politically that allowed for more access to non-church members. In 1639, the citizens of Connecticut enacted the first written constitution in the Western Hemisphere. The fundamental orders of Connecticut called for an elected governor and two-house legislature. It served as a model for other colonial charters, and even future state constitutions after independence was achieved a century later. Salem, Massachusetts, 1692. Young girls were screaming and barking like dogs. Strange dances were occurring in the woods. This was behavior hardly becoming a virtuous teenage Puritan. And the town doctor was called onto the scene. And after a thorough examination, he concluded quite simply that the girls were bewitched. Now the task was clear. Whomever was responsible for bewitching these young women must be brought to justice. The ordeal originated in the home of Salem's Reverend Samuel Parris. Parris had a slave from the Caribbean named Tatuba. Several of the town's teenage girls began to gather in the kitchen with Tutuba in as early as 1692. And as winter turned to spring, the townspeople were aghast at the behaviors exhibited by Tutuba's young followers. They were believed to have danced a black magic dance in a nearby woods. Several of the girls would fall on the floor and scream hysterically, and soon this behavior began to spread across Salem. Much like today when a trend becomes popular, so too trends were quick to follow within the teenagers of Salem. But ministers in the nearby communities came to give their sage advice. These parties must stop at once. (laughs) The year-long Salem witch trial turned the community into hysteria. People began accusing each other That accusation turned to hysteria, and hysteria turned into chaos. But by 1693, the hysteria began to lose steam when conveniently enough, the governor of the colony, upon hearing that his own wife was accused of being a witch, quickly ordered an end to the trials. However, 20 people and two dogs were executed for the crime of witchcraft in Salem. One person was actually pressed to death Under a pile of stones for refusing to testify. And that concludes this episode of Print the Legend, a podcast for U.S. history students where we look at the stories that made up America and the stories that America made up. Coming up in our next episode, we look at the middle colonies where diversity, unlike conformity in New England, is taking place. The middle colonies of Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, and Delaware are seeing the English mixed with Swedes, Dutch, Germans, the Scots-Irish, and the French. Along with the Native American tribes of the Algonquin and the Iroquois languages, Well, the Middle Colonies are going to certainly be the very first melting pot we see in this new world. I hope you'll join us for that episode, and I look forward to welcoming you back here next time. I'm Mr. Nasosi and I thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join me for this moment of learning.